Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the podcast called the Path to Warren podcast. This is episode five. We're going to dive into what happened after I sold the pine straw business. It is uh, currently July 5th, 2020, and uh, I'm in Pauley's Island, South Carolina. Beautiful morning, walking on the beach. Just wanted to take a minute and uh, you know, just say how grateful I am for all that is happening in my life, and um, it all is it's happening, and it's hard to wrap my head around uh, so many great things that are going on, um, but it's so important for me to remember back to uh, kind of what got me here, and uh, after I sold this pine straw business, in episode four, I shared how it was, it was after college, and I was I found a buyer through searching nine different people that were interested. And of those nine, I found one. And we struck a deal. Um, over the next five years, he was supposed to pay me um, a certain amount per month. And you know, it worked. It worked perfect for about two and a half years. He 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 made all of his payments on time. He paid the correct amount on time, uh, but then uh, 2008 and 2009 hit. Um, so after I sold the business, I, I before I sold it and got out of it, I was starting to line up my next job, um, and I had really. Um, I found this commercial landscaping company out of Lifewood that you know it's no longer in business today. I'll go into a little bit of that as to why I think it went out of business, but um, that helped to shape my career as well. Nothing like seeing what another company does and some of the mistakes that it might have made. Um, to help me not do that in my business. Uh, but so here we are right out of college. I, I was married or about to get married to Megan. And this, this client was just buying all the pine straw that I could deliver and spread. Um, He had about 40 employees at the time, commercial landscaping company. Um, it was one owner. He had a, a project manager named Charlie and Gordon. Uh, I didn't realize it until I was, I, I didn't realize it until I was actually interviewing for him that, that Gordon was a, a fraternity brother at Clemson. So I was able to use that a little bit to let him put in a good word for me. Although we didn't really get along much in, in the fraternity, uh, we still stuck together and he helped me get that job, I believe. Um, but Charlie was my boss. I was going to work under Charlie. And this company, you know, a 40 person 
landscaping company is really large for the Columbia area. I mean, most landscaping companies or lawn you know, services are two to five employees. And, and with this being 40 employees, I thought they really had something really nice going on here and something I could learn from. They were so big that they had two divisions. And this really intrigued me. Uh, I, I really wanted to learn more about the installation process. I wanted to learn about installing irrigation. I wanted to learn about, I mean, I saw them planting trees, <laughs> landscaping trees. I saw them planting them with 18 wheeler loads of trees at a time. I'm talking ball and burlap, you know, have to use a skid steer or an excavator to hook a, you know, hook the boom lift to the top of the strap and lift these big ball and burlap bags that are that way more than I did. Uh, huge trees. They were getting truckloads of that at a time. They were installing pallets of sod, not one or two pallets. <laughs> they were installing truckloads of sod a day. Um, about 80% or so, about 80%, 85 maybe, maybe were Hispanic uh, workforce. So the employees were, um, they had several, I guess you could say legalized, uh, legal Americans that were the crew leaders and the drivers and the foremen, the superintendents, the project managers, the, all of those people were documented um, they had driver's licenses they were able to talk to the customer in, in, in plain English um, those and then everybody else were mostly Hispanic that's uh, just the way it is and I'll never forget when I got hired my first project was to go to Sumter so they needed a driver basically and I was a uh, you know white male right out of college with a with a good driver's license sometimes hard to find willing to work for $27,000 a year um, I really wanted to learn so much that I was I was all in so after I sold the lawn service or excuse me, the pine straw business, I started working for this company and I was to drive for the first nine months or so, I had to drive to Sumter, South Carolina, which was an hour away. And we were landscaping Patriots Point. Um, Patriots Point Park was this uh, huge development that was undergoing I think they had like eight, eight new soccer fields they were trying to irrigate, and we had won that contract. So I was dropped off, what I drove and was there by myself with uh, three Hispanics. One guy was named um, Elias, E-L-I-A-S, Elias. Um, 
his brother, his younger brother, Carlos, and there was a, normally a, a third guy along with them. And I was the, supposed to be the superintendent, but I didn't know anything. <laughs> I didn't know anything about anything when it came to irrigation. And I was, I was basically in the middle of this huge park uh, that you couldn't see from any road. It was just in the middle of nowhere in Sumter County, uh, surrounded by huge trees and clear-cut area. They were building a big cabana for the, the soccer games and the baseball games and all the things that were coming. Um, but our job was to take the water from the pond that they had built and use irrigation. So. The, the big old plan that was many, many pages, uh, it was professionally laid out and it had like 12 inch pipe coming out of the pump, I mean coming out of the pond, that's huge, you know, 12 inch irrigation pipe, I had only been used to like you know, drip irrigation around houses and one inch pipe, maybe an inch and a half main line and here we are talking about a 12 inch pipe coming out of a pond with a huge pump i mean it's a massive system uh, so that was really exciting i, I was I, I really was all in to work on that project and i knew this was going to be a fun ride where else would i get experience like this um, right out of college and so what was neat was we didn't just irrigate it and, and leave. It wasn't just an irrigation, you know, installation company. I was able to experience the whole project from the, the trenching of the, the pipe, the putting in the irrigation, the putting in sleeves. And sleeves are, you know, if you have, a, if you have a, an island, for example, in the middle of a parking lot, well, you got to get water and lights and uh, electricity, you know, sometimes to those islands. So I learned that sleeves, you know, kind of like the sleeve on your shirt, sleeves are used underneath those uh, roads and parking lots. I learned the value of putting in sleeves prior to the, the paving company come in. Uh, coming in and grading out and preparing for asphalt paving or concrete paving. Uh, now, there's a lot of lessons there that could be taught, but um, you know, putting in the sleeves, putting in the, the, the right soil, and I learned, I learned right off that you, you can't take this muck out of Sumter County or out of most projects and put it back in the, the, the beds, the natural areas that you're about to plant in. Um, it was like, you know, putting mud back into the beds and expecting these plants to, to flourish. This company provided like a year, a, a one year guarantee on all of these plants and trees and sod. So there was obviously and I need to make sure that we were doing the right thing because we'd have, I'd have to come back and replace the plants and the trees 
and they wouldn't look the same. They wouldn't match. Um, so there was a need to really make sure we did right. That was different too. I had not experienced that. I didn't know that most commercial landscaping companies like that provide a one-year guarantee. Um, so here I am dropped off in this park and I'm in the middle of a trench. I don't really speak that much Spanish. The, the three guys around me don't speak any English. The, the crew leader, Elias, barely spoke English. He, I mean, he spoke a few words that like helped me figure out after eight ways of saying something, he, it helped me figure out what was going on. But nothing like being thrown in a trench with three other guys working hand in hand all day long, every day with these guys to learn Spanish. Um, that was that was firsthand uh, Espanol, and and I had I had taken three semesters or three years of Spanish prior to working. Um, or prior to going to college, you know, I had to have three years in order to get to Clemson. But I, I really just did what I could to get by. I had like a C in the class every year. Um, I, I, I wish I had studied a little bit more of it, but it was, it was weird. You know, I knew I needed the Spanish, but I never, I, I just couldn't concentrate on it. I don't know what it was. I, I, but I understood the basic principles and the theories behind uh, you know, conjugating the verbs and that kind of thing. Uh, it really helped me a lot when it came time to, to really being thrown in the trenches and learning Spanish from these guys. I, I did take a semester at Clemson, but I was doing so poorly and I, I think I was involved in partying a little too much at the time but I, I dropped out of the class at Clemson because it was, it was just too hard. Um, so my Spanish in Clemson wasn't much of anything. It was like a whole new level of, of Spanish. Um, so fast forward, I'm, I'm, I'm in the trenches with these guys and they're, they're helping me learn Spanish and irrigation and planting. And I committed to un palabra per dia. One palabra per dia is one word a day, and, and they love that. So as I would be working with them, I would take a second and, and try to figure out one word, and I would say that word like 12 to 15 times a day, and uh, it, they really like that a lot. You know, it showed I'm trying. It's like I'm trying to learn one word a day here, guys. Work with me. Work with me. And that was, I, I think one way of showing humility to these guys too uh, it, it, you know here I am a, an American with a college degree uh, it, it just helped a lot um, so I worked at Springdale for probably three years um, I it got to where I was the superintendent for about a year and a half. Uh, I was doing pretty well. We hired a couple other younger guys to come in and be 
superintendent and I was able to work my way up to estimator. So I started estimating these large commercial jobs. Boy, that was a that was a project. <laughs> I I ne- I remember one job I was so excited because I actually won it. I I bid on it. I I won it. We were the lowest bid. When you're bidding commercial projects, all they care about is lowest price. I mean, it, 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 I did not like it at all. All they care about is lowest price. The second I, that my boss realized that I won the bid, to say that he flipped out was kind of an understatement. It was a big project. And he made me sit down and we had to go through the entire bid line by line, making sure that I didn't miss anything. Um, And sure enough, after he did the layout, sure enough, I had missed like 400 bales of pine straw because of of, of how the the design was. The number of pine straw bales that it had listed on the spec sheet, as opposed to the, the... the square footage of area that we needed to put the mulch were two different numbers. Um, so it was like this push and pull in, in, inside of me, like, oh, you did a great job, Matt. Good job for winning the bid. But oh, crap, we won the bid. Now I guess we have to deliver. <laughs> so I don't know. Um, I don't know what it is. Or, about that but i i told my boss you know i I don't like doing this um it's a no-win situation it it was a no-win situation here i am trying to do a good job i I took the numbers for face value but i should have measured everything like i don't know you only learn i guess by by doing and messing up but it's a costly mistake enjoyed though the residential side I, I, I was I had a lot of experience through my pine straw business with dealing with the residential client I, I really got a kick out of doing a good job and that instant gratification from the client just being so happy that everything looks so good and also being able to gauge right away if I wasn't doing something that she liked or he liked. You know, I could quickly adapt and fix it. Um, so I asked if I could be transferred or, or, or change, change my job from commercial estimator to residential sales. And you know, it wasn't like I was getting a pay raise for doing this estimating. Um, and, and it wasn't like I was going to get a, a pay cut by doing what I love. So I stuck with the residential. Um, and I really got a lot out of that. I, I was the guy that they would send on detailed projects uh, where me and one or two guys would would spend all day or all week on one or two jobs um that 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 detail pruning um 
the detailed weeding of jobs or edging or planting of flowers, you know, things that really took a lot of detail and attention. I love that. And I was the one that, that got put on those jobs after that. So after starting out as superintendent, I worked my way up because I knew what I was doing on the jobs. I worked my way up to the estimator role after doing that and, and, and realizing, you know, you, you work so hard on all these projects to submit bids. Um, and, and there was this, this effect going on too, that I, I think I should share, you know, there's this deal in, in commercial bidding of projects where you're, you're doing all this work just so that they can get like 20 bids to, to compare, to compare against the one that they already know in their mind that they're going to use. There was a lot of this good old boy network happening that it didn't matter what my price said, they were going to go with this company that they already knew. Um, I remember estimating jobs for small fire stations that were being built, um, a lot of parks. I remember estimating for lots of roadway landscaping, like in the middle of islands or, or off of exits. Uh, those are massive projects that my boss was set up to, to work. You know, we had the crews, I had a, a, a dually, I had a white dually, four-door extended cab that was a massive truck that I used to haul the crew you know, back and forth down to Sumter. Also used it to pull big trailers to go pick up equipment and piping and move piping around the job, uh, pick up skid steers and excavators. Learning how to strap those down is something that I've I really uh, acquired a great skill for. Uh, but all of a sudden, 2008, 2009 hit. We were, like I said, set up to, to be a commercial landscaping company that worked these high dollar residential jobs too. But I was working nine jobs in Sumter that were all parks. It, it was one summer, we had to landscape, you know, irrigate, landscape, and then maintain shortly after. We did nine parks and my boss, uh, it's like something clicked in his head. He realized he was in massive trouble. When the, when the economic downturn started to set in we there was major problems um in the commercial landscaping world when you're bidding on these projects a lot of well i'd say 99 percent of the 99 percent of the time we were bidding them to get the change order so if many 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 times we were excited to get the job even if it was under bid even if we were below our material cost which is hard to believe 
you know, how would, why would you take a job or commit to doing a job if you know right off the bat you're underbid? Well, before the recession hit, the change order was how all contractors on those commercial jobs made their money. So what happens on a change order is all of a sudden, you, you, you know, you're out there landscaping and you hit a big rock or you realize that it, would, it really would be better if we put this over here or added another tree or b- b- because we get down so low that it's full of clay and we really need to supplement it with some topsoil, um, whatever needs to be changed if it wasn't on the original project that you bid you could submit a change order and put pretty much whatever price you wanted on there because you knew that the that the owner was going to go with it you're already on the job they're not going to bring in somebody else to you know finish up this this project uh change orders is where you make your money well when the recession hit and we're working these government projects you know working all these parks the government the the municipalities said no just just build it as we said build it as planned we don't have any more money for change orders you know, once the what once the whole recession was in place and happening, there was no way to to go up to federal government or state government and ask for more money. There there just was no more money. Uh, the construction industry took a huge dive. New projects were not being approved. New projects were not even being thought about. People were realizing there's a recession going on when the housing bubble was crashing. So the, the, the municipalities told my boss, no, no change orders. I mean, they told him out front, no change orders after he already had the project. So here we are with, with these nine parks in Sumter that were all, I mean, every one of them were bid and, and won below the price of what it costs to actually do the job as is. So we ended up really taking massive hits. And the only thing that was making money, and it wasn't a lot, not enough to support the company, the only thing that was making money were these residential jobs, uh, these high-end residential jobs that you could add on markup and margins and labor and really charge what you needed to in order to to do these little jobs Uh, but there weren't enough of those to to support a 40 person crew a 40 person you know landscaping company Uh, i also learned very quickly it sounds great uh to, to to give your crew leaders and give your project managers all credit cards. You would think that that sounds like a smart idea. Uh, 
but there's a, I don't know, it, there's a lot to talk about with this, but what I saw and, and what actually, what I did, you know, I, I'm not, I'm not innocent here. Um, if I was on a job and I needed something, I would just go to the closest place like Lowe's and, and buy what I needed plus a couple extra, <laughs> you know, and that's great and all because it, I might need it, you know, I might need those couple extra things, but because it wasn't my credit card, I had no desire to make those returns. I had no desire to, to watch my spending, to try to get the best price, to shop around. Um, well, to go along with that, there was a hardware store right in downtown Blythewood. And this hardware store is like a Blythewood feed and seed kind of place. Um, we, we had an open account. So anybody in the company could go up and the, the, the guy behind the counter would ring, would ring you up and he would just make you put your initials out beside whatever you bought. <laughs> Well, people were putting other people's initials. You know, nobody was cross-checking these things. Um, and people were spending like crazy, you know. People were buying stuff for their house. People were buying stuff for their own landscaping projects on the side. It was out of control. Um, so between the use of credit cards by every person that was in charge of a crew and every person that was a project manager, you know, you'd fill up your truck on these gas cards. People were filling up their old personal cars and personal trucks on these gas cards, on the credit cards. Um, there was no checks and balance system for making sure that we weren't overspending. When you couple the, the, the credit card and the gas card situation with the open account at Smith Turf Irrigation, the open account at WP Law, the open account that my boss worked very hard to get at this hardware store. I'm sitting here watching all this happen because I've had my own business before. I had the pine straw business and the lawn service. I'm sitting there like shaking my head like, what? You're going to give me a credit card? You're going to give me this you know, access to go buy whatever I, I want at Lowe's? Wow. And not just me. You're going to do that for everybody in the crew, in the company? Well, it wasn't everybody. The people that weren't driving didn't get credit cards. Um, but you couple those massive leaks in the bucket, as they say, the big holes in the bucket. If you couple that with the loss of revenue from the recession, the poor guy, uh, you know, he had no choice. He, he had to start laying off people. There was a massive layoff. Um, I, I'm so grateful that I was at a point where I, my job being the residential sales, I could see what was happening. I could see the sales coming in. I could see the expenses going out. I could see because of the meetings with the sales, the, the other estimators and my boss, I could hear 
that we were not winning the projects like we were back when I was estimating them or even before that. The projects, the quantity of projects that we were awarded and had to look forward to were just not there. Uh, my boss had some serious equipment. We had two skid steers, a larger one and, or, and a smaller one. Uh, plus we had a, a skid steer that was a wheeled machine. It had wheels instead of tracks. You know, he had a really nice fancy excavator, a, a, a mini excavator that was used on certain projects. Um, he had a, a dingo that you stand on that you get, you know, in small places behind residential places. Um, you know, you could get through fences real easily. A small dingo, uh, they're at least $40,000 with all the attachments. Um, I, we were very much uh, heavy on equipment and heavy on labor. Uh, and I'm I feel bad that it happened the way it did, uh, but the company went out of business shortly after I left. Uh, but because I could see the the writing on the wall, and because I was being what I felt uh, overworked <laughs> and underpaid, which I had a tendency to do, I later learned that that tendency to overwork and get get underpaid was uh, sort of a disease called under earning uh, that goes along with the debtors anonymous program that I found later in life uh, I was you know signing up for a 40 hour work week kind of thing but my boss ended up making us come in we were already working 45 hours a week Monday through um, Monday through Thursday we worked 10 hour days so we had to be at the office at 7 and I actually implemented a, a 6.45 a.m. operations meeting so I was working from 6.45 was when I had to be in, in Blythewood, which meant I had to leave my house at 6.15. Uh, working the 10-hour days, I was then required to come to the office on Fridays. If you were salary, you had to come into the office on Fridays and work a half a day. Um, I was working 55 hours after I added it all up, I, I was just exhausted. And I realized that, that, you know, compared to my buddies out there from college, I knew I was making way less money than I probably should be making. Uh, but that was what the landscape and industry paid. Uh, I wanted the knowledge of planting and irrigating and, and doing things on a massive scale like that. I, that that information that I gained was priceless. Uh, it, it and I don't regret it. You know, I I, I don't re re regret that part of my life by any means because what happened was that allowed me to get this job that was next. Uh, I was able to 
work for one of the largest vegetable producers in the whole southeast this company had 4,000 acres of vegetable production that was all irrigated in, in South Carolina not to mention farms in Mississippi, Florida uh, New York Wisconsin, the mountains of Virginia and Texas these guys were huge and I would have never been able to, to work for that company if I would have not had two and a half to three years of experience doing commercial irrigation, planting large trees and, 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 and massive amounts of sod and plants and taking care of it, and learn about soil conditions and pH and watering and fertilizer and all the things that I learned at Springdale. I'd have never been able to, to work for th- this company if I wouldn't have had that experience. Uh, but I, one night I went through my entire LinkedIn uh, connections and I went one after the other and I looked at anybody that I might be, you know, any company where I knew somebody there via LinkedIn, I would, I, I made a, a nice little list and I was set on getting out. You know, I've got to get out of here. I knew I had to get out. Um, I ended up cold calling one of the my old fraternity brothers that, that worked there. He was a third generation uh, farmer, but he worked in the sales and marketing side of it. I cold called him and left him a message where I actually used one of the one of the lines that I had learned working for the time management company I did for about nine months. <laughs> But I use this line of, hey, you don't know me uh, from Adam's house cat. As cheesy as that sounds, it's something that if you leave in a voicemail right off the bat, you're going to catch attention and and get listened to. Um, I I ended up getting that job as the food safety technician. I had no idea what a field food safety technician was. I never worked in food safety at all but I knew I had to get out of landscaping and I felt like working for this farm you know it wasn't like I was going to be driving a tractor Uh, just like in the landscaping industry I knew I didn't want to just be cutting grass Um, I was far from cutting grass and and just weed eating and edging (laughs) you know I only did that when I wanted to on my projects that I was maintaining but I, in the in the farming world, it wasn't like I was just driving the tractor, you know. I was out there actually helping to keep E. coli and salmonella out of our, pro, our, our product. So once I realized that I was able to get a job, by the way, I had to go through seven interviews <laughs> to get that job on the farm, um, and I'll go into that on the next podcast, but when it came time to leave Springdale Outdoor I I really was I was offered the position of field food safety technician and I wrote my boss a, a, a typed out letter I wrote a letter um, and 
handed it over to him uh, one Friday afternoon and just kind of put it on his desk and, and said, uh, David, do you have a second? I need to talk to you. And he said, yeah, Matt, what's going on? And I said, I, well, I got this little letter I need to give you. And I let him read it. And in the first sentence or two, it said, um, I thank you for all that you've done for me and all that you've taught me. But at this point in my life, I, I believe it's it's the next, you know, the next best thing in my career at this point in my life is to uh, take a, another position with another company. And, you know, he, I, I know he was upset, but he said, I, I kind of knew this was coming, Matt. You know, he said that he knew that this recession and the cutbacks and the, the hours that he was making us work and the, the sales that weren't there, he knew this was happening, he said. And he said it, it was just a matter of time before, you know, the straw broke the camel's back and and I had to get out of there. So for one thing that I've messed up on it, and I, I think I really would probably do different is my direct boss, Charlie, at the time, he was not in the office. He was out doing something. Uh, you know, those Friday afternoons, he would always find a way to ride around and check on jobs, <laughs> which was important, but it was also a way of staying out of the office. Um, but he wasn't there at the time that I needed to give David this this letter of resignation. Um, when David read it and I left his office I know that he called Charlie to tell him what had happened and Charlie was pissed uh, he was up he was really upset and at least I think he was because he never talked to me again <laughs> um, he, there was no more communication between me and him and we had really gotten along well, you know. I, I really enjoyed working for him. He was such a funny guy, really great to work for, taught me a lot. Yeah, he got on me a couple times when I, you know, would mess up. Um, but that's what any boss that's good should do, right? But uh, I, I don't know. Maybe I should have called Charlie right after I gave it to David. Maybe I should have uh, given it to Charlie first and then let him give it to, you know, giving it to David I, I I don't know I I just was I might have done the order the wrong way there when I was it was time to resignate or you know give my resignation I'd never done that before though I never I never turned in a letter like that um, I, I will say one thing that really caused me to leave and really caused me to kick the <laughs> you know, kick it across the fence on should I leave or should I stay was one day I found on the printer in the office, I found where our our sec secretary, office manager lady, Ashley, I found where she had left um, the printout of everybody's salary. She left it on the printer. Uh, like she hit print and then forgot about it, went home for the day 
and here I am going to the printer to get something after I had printed it, and I found a printout. It was two pages, and it had my boss's salary information. You know, it, it, it was the number that everybody was going to get on their check that day. And I saw how some people that I thought were making less than me were making more than me. I saw that my boss was only making like a few hundred more dollars or a few thousand. It wasn't much at all more than me. And I'm like, oh my gosh, this guy, my boss has so much more experience than I do. And he's only making this much. <laughs> uh, it was an eye opener. I, I saw that, that there were just people that I didn't think should be making that much money were making more money than I am. It, it's something that I don't wish anybody would find, you know. I, I don't think it just changed my world. It, not only did I have a lot of resentment in how they were paying people, uh, but I didn't look at those people the same after that. Uh, so I I think that was a major point in my career where I was like, you know, this is just not going to work. I, there's obviously a ceiling here in the commercial landscaping world. There's obviously a ceiling of how much money I can make. Uh, so I decided to leave and, and, and really once I decide I'm, I'm out, <laughs> I'm out. Um, I'm one of these all-in guys, but all-in one way or all-out the other. And I'm so grateful that I was able to get this next job working at, at a large-scale vegetable producer as the field food safety specialist. Um, that next five years would be a fun ride. So stay tuned to podcast number six as I'm going to share about working on the farm and all I learned with food safety and then quickly got a job in the agricultural operations manager for the farm. So thanks so much for being along. If you like this podcast, please share it with a friend. Have a great afternoon and make a contribution. Thank you.